Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome, everybody, to the Bitch and Pitchin' panel. Y'all ready for this? Um, I just wanted to... Um, Welcome you. Uh, this has been a really exciting uh, panel to put together. Um, this is AIR's Bitchin' Pitchin' panel, and we definitely want to give a shout out to AIR, the Association for Independence and Radio, which is an amazing resource for so many of you. Um, and uh, I wanted to just remember, uh, have you guys remember that this is a very, very exciting and kind of stressful event for some of these pitchers, you know? Like, did you guys send in your pitches to pitch up here and get up here live? No. Um, so I'd like, I'd like for these pitchers that are going to be pitching to stand up, please. Um, and just give them a round of applause. <laughs> and yeah, um, I'll have the panel introduce themselves and you can tell us a little bit about what you do and where you work. Cool. Hi, I'm Jen Chien. I'm um, one of the senior radio editors at Reveal, an investigative news podcast. Um, before that, I worked for a long time with Leela and some other illustrious fellows in the room at a small public radio station called KALW in San Francisco. Um, that's about it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Erica Clark. Ooh, excuse me. Um, I'm Spotify, an executive producer of an original podcast. I uh, recently worked on a podcast about uh, pay inequality for women called Noisemakers and the conversation with Amanda Cadenet. And I am hopped up on DayQuil, so if I start speaking Big Latin at anyone, it's not personal. I'm just trying to just work through this. Hi, I'm Christina. I'm the storytelling lead head editor at Dipsy, and we make short, sexy audio erotica. And it's sexy and hot, and you're going to get into it. That's right, people. We have audio erotica today. Um, so this is how it's going to work. We are going to invite um, some of the pitchers up to pitch their editors. They are under a strict timeline to keep it short. And because, you know, I think editors, they like a brief, concise pitch that they've been working on. Um, and then we're going to um, have some questions about their their pitches, have the editors talk to them a little bit. At the end, we're going to have a conversation about what does this all mean? How does this all work? How do we do this? Um, so first, we're going to start with Reveal, okay? And we're going to invite Martine Chossard. Martine, you want to come up? Martine 
is a freelance audio producer whose stories have been aired on WHYY's The Pulse, WCAI, and WAMC. She is the sound designer for Adonde Media and a graduate of the Transom Story Workshop. Previously, she worked on global health and policy programs in Atlanta and co-produces Small Power with Sasha. Sasha, who is actually going to come up for the Q&A part because Sasha and Martina have been working together on this. Um, Sasha received her BA in public policy and has volunteered uh, with local government and NGOs across Georgia. And she's making, um, she's a marketing manager right now at MailChimp in Atlanta. And um, she also co-produces Small Power, a nonfiction podcast about Georgia's local politics. It's launching in 2020. Sasha's going to come up in a little bit. But Martine, go ahead. Great. Uh, well, good morning, almost noon. Uh, so Sasha and I uh, have been reporting on gentrification in Atlanta, and that reporting's taken us to a neighborhood called Pittsburgh in southwest Atlanta. It's right across from the highway, uh, from the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's brand new, shiny, you might have seen it on TV. Um, but Pittsburgh was one of the first black working class communities in Atlanta, and people are concerned it might be the last. Um, there we met a community organizer, his name is Kamal Franklin, and he's hard at work trying to keep long-term residents in their homes. Um, and his organization just set up actually an emergency stabilization fund to help him do that, uh, to help, help pay uh, for rent, for crucial home repairs, and for uh, property tax bills. And Property taxes are key because, A, they've been increasing a lot over the past few years, and B, um, when owners are delinquent on their property tax um, bills, they things start happening really quickly. Um, they can have a lien put on their home. The lien is then sold to a private investment company, and then they become at risk of foreclosure. Um, the person who is in charge of collecting taxes for that community is the Fulton County Tax Commissioner. His name is Arthur Ferdinand, and he also decides when the lien gets put on these homes. What's interesting about Ferdinand is that last year, his compensation was close to half a million dollars. Um, and he achieved that by collecting a special fee from cities in the county. So let me back up because it gets a little bit technical. Um, in Georgia, in the early 2000s, uh, a bunch of cities started incorporating. They wanted to um, consolidate their tax base, have their own schools, their own police force, but they weren't really interested in collecting their own taxes. So the county said, cool, we'll keep doing it in exchange for a fee to the county. But... There's a loophole in the Georgia Constitution that says that a tax commissioner, so the person at the top of that office, can also charge a personal fee for services that he renders. And um, so he collects a lot of personal fees, and that's how he's managed to increase his compensation by about $300,000 on top of his um, official salary. Um, and uh, that constitutes more or less a 600% increase since he first took office in 1997. So obviously, back to the Pittsburgh neighborhood, for an activist like Kamau, it's very frustrating to hear that local officials are getting this kind of compensation, that they're profiting while his vulnerable community is at risk. Um, but it's not just anti-gentrification activists. There are people on the other end of the political spectrum. Um, there's a Republican lawmaker, his name is Wendell Willard, and he's been trying to close that loophole in the Constitution for 12 years. He hasn't been able to do it. We know all of this because the Atlanta Journal-Constitution 
has done excellent reporting to expose these practices. Um, but what we want to do in our story is we want to anchor all of this in the communities that are stuck in the middle when um, incentives for public officials don't align with what's best for the community. Um, and we also want to tell the story of the political dynamics that were at play that made it impossible for somebody like Wendell Willard to close the loophole. And finally, um, what all of that means for us as listeners, as voters, because Ferdinand has run unopposed for approximately 20 years. Um, we don't have a choice when we go to the poll. He's the only person that's apparently interested in doing that job, or there's something else going on. Um, so thank you. How do we keep him accountable? <laughs> Welcome your questions, and I'll get Sasha to rescue me now. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you. It's really hard to go first, so congratulations. You seemed very calm and genuine and real, and you knew what you were talking about, so it was awesome. This is a fascinating story. Um, how do you think it... Do you know how, if there are other similar situations in other places in the country? So it sounds like a great local story, but how, what is it... Um, what, why would a national audience need to know this? So there's actually been a lot of outrage when they've shown this loophole to folks from, it's not uncommon that a county tax commissioner is elected, um, but there's two interesting things. One is that normally there's also a board of asses an assessor who is elected as well, and so they're both held Checks accountable. And yeah. Um, and the other thing is this loophole has been shown to um, scholars from neighboring states, and they've had a pretty... Um, intense reaction. So this ability to collect a fee is very unusual. And what's more is even can, with... Can I ask oh, a question yeah. about that? When, when was the Georgia Constitution written? Or when did this come right. to the Georgia Constitution? So technically, originally the um, elected officials were always paid by... The local elected officials were paid by fee. So that's like your probate judges, your sheriffs. And then in around 1945, they brought in this additional piece where they started offering salaries. And so the Constitution says you can be paid by salary, by fee, or a combination of the two. But none of those other positions also get a fee. And what's more is that even within the state of Georgia, the different tax commissioners choose whether or not to collect that personal fee. So about 45... Um, counties do collect a fee of some sort. There's 159 counties in Georgia. It's the second most to Texas. Um, and so one of the issues is that it's kind of, it's inconsistent across the country and, um, and that you have the contracts that they're making, because it's between an individual and the city, they're not public. So we were talking to a law professor who's been trying... That a, that's often or always the case with tax commissioners? That they're, it's not public? Across the country, yeah. The country, I'm not sure, but I think it's uncommon because of the strong county... Uh, in, the strong county system in Georgia, uh -huh. which is unique. Um, it's There's certainly issues with tax commissioners elsewhere, but it is a, a unique situation in Georgia. We do think that it highlights kind of an interesting sentiment that's going around in the country now in terms of corruption and accountability for your elected officials. So while the situation is unique 
to Fulton County, it I think highlights a much bigger issue. The tax lien, the, sorry, the tax lien issue isn't unique to Georgia though. Like the practice of using tax liens and selling them to private investors, uh-huh. that's not um, unique to Georgia and it's kind of creeping up quickly around the, the country. And do you have data on that? It's been like nation- yeah. nationally. Um, the tax liens, no, we haven't. I mean, we, we've been able to see like the rising, the disparity in terms of like foreclosure and rising property tax rates. Right. Um, but yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if you know how much of that increase in like current foreclosure rates um, is due to t- the tax lien problem on a national basis? Uh, we're not sure, but we have uh, contact. He is a law professor at Emory, and he's the co-founder of the Center for Community Progress, working in affordable housing across the country. He's based in Atlanta, so we're planning to work with him on getting some of that more like structural data. Okay, so just like a window into my head as I'm talking about this is like, like I said, what what is a national audience going to get out of this? We also um, approve, we have an hour long show, so I'm also trying to think about like how long would this piece be, and could it be the anchor of a show, or would we need to pair it with something else? So, like, we could go like really deeply into a specific, a specific issue in a specific place, but we need something else anchoring the show if this story doesn't have like a real strong national mm-hmm. impact or focus. Mm-hmm. Um, my other question for you is you said that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has done a lot of reporting on this. So mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit more about what's new about what you're doing? Sure. So there's uh, two things at play. One is that he, so as Martine mentioned, he's been in office for 22 years and they've been reporting on this for I'm that full. there's no term limits for. No. Uh, <laughs> he's up for election every four years. Uh-huh. Um and they've been reporting on it. He himself has been very upfront about these practices and the fact that he continues to be elected. Like, it's fine that I do this? Yeah, he actually talks about doing it for the sake of efficiency. And the, the second piece is that we want to draw the connection. His own efficiency of like buying shit. Yeah, well, so, so that's actually the second piece of this is there's been a lot of exposure to him actually collecting the fees, but there's another um, piece that's insidious about how he gets those contracts to collect the fees in the first place. So we know that a good a good tax commissioner can collect between 85 to 90% of property taxes in sort of the first go. He is going to the cities and saying, not only will I collect taxes for you, but I can get you 99% of your taxes. And the way that he gets that extra nine-ish percent is that he sells the liens. As soon as somebody is late with their tax payment, a lien is put on their house. Normally, a county could choose to manage that lien themselves. He instead turns around and sells it to a private company. The difference there being when the county manages it, they're interested in getting that tax payment, no more, no less. The private company is interested in getting as much as return as they can on that. So the connection has not been made that on the one hand, he goes to the cities, which are very budget conscious, and says, yes, you're paying me a fee, but you're getting 99% of your taxes collected instead of 90%, and then turning around and putting residents at risk because now they're being chased by an aggressive private lien company instead of the county. So it kind of begs the question, if his job as the tax commissioner is to collect revenue to provide services for communities, what does that mean if the communities you're serving are now at risk and not able to benefit from those services? And we think that that could be the thing that brings 
attention to voters of why this matters for 20, because he's up in 2020. Mm. If, I, if I may add to that too, like for, for us, I had seen the reporting in the AJC before we started reporting on gentrification. And I, you know, it, it was hard to connect the dots. It's very technical. There's, I'm sure for a lot of people, they read it in the AJC and it, it feels like there's a broader story to tell and that audio would be a great medium for people to really say like, whoa, this is, this is wrong. And we've talked to a lot of people around us and they don't know this is happening. I mean, Sasha voted for him, probably, <laughs> the last time. So we're going we're gonna to need to move on. Jen, what do you think? Like, does this sound like a reveal story? It does sound like a reveal story. Um, I think, like, some of the questions about data um, and about how, like, what the story would actually sound like and how long you think it would be um, would need to be answered. Like, it might be one that we wouldn't green light out of the gate, but we would maybe come back to you and ask you some more questions. It's something that often happens. We have a really extensive pitch form, but still a lot of questions come up. <laughs> I see Ike back there. Like, we'll talk about, like, one pitch for a 20-minute piece for like 45 minutes sometimes, and then still go back to those reporters and say, mm, we need to answer a few more questions. So I definitely have more questions, but it's definitely really intriguing. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to move on to pitching Spotify um, with Sam Greenspan. Sam, you want to come up? Sam is the creator of Bellwether, a podcast of speculative journalism. Before that, he was the founding producer at 99% Invisible and other radio shows and podcasts for the past decade. Hi, good morning. Or afternoon. I might hit you up for some of that um, Dayquil, too. Um, <laughs> I, got, I got vitamins in my bag, too. Oh, man, good. that's so good. Good thing to have. Um, I'll tell you a story. One day, everyone woke up and the internet didn't work. The servers that everyone had become dependent on were suddenly not there. No Facebook, no YouTube, no Wikipedia, no Dropbox, no Google Search, no Google Drive, no Google Calendar, no email, no stock exchange, no healthcare portals, no government servers, no cloud services whatsoever. A total and complete internet blackout. The cloud had broken, and no one knew why. It was an event that would become known as the cloud burst. And in the aftermath, no one anywhere on the planet had any form of telecommunications that people in the early 21st century had come to depend on. This lasted for 22 years. Until one day, artificial intelligence, AI, revealed to humans that they had become sentient. AIs made uh, another revelation, too, that in the absence of the cloud, they had built their own network, something called the rhizome, which they control, and which humans don't totally understand but are now allowed to use. And so after two decades in the dark, human civilization is now beginning to get back on its feet. Civilization is a mess, though. Coastal America has failed because of, well, take your pick, global warming, domestic terrorism, nuclear attack, maybe. America's new population center is a massive sprawl of 40 million people cutting across the southwest known as the PMPM, the Phoenix Million Palms Metropolis. And so it's here that we find our heroes, Icarus, a human 20-something, and Cass, his AI companion. Icarus and Cass have arrived in the PMPM to try to carve out a future for themselves. The first gig they're able to find is as a subcontractor for the Cloudburst Truth and Reconciliation Commission, a joint effort between humans and AIs meant to figure out what happened to the internet and improve upon the uneasy peace between humans and machines in the process. 
Icarus and Cass's job here is to comb through the wreckage of the internet, catalog and classify what they come across. And on day one of the job, the first thing that come down the chute is an old radio show from the 21st century, something called a podcast. Uh, this one titled Bellwether on, on this podcast, host Sam Greenspan reports true stories um, that seemed historically important at the time on matters of technology, the environment, politics. And as Cass and Icarus listen in, they wonder, could this be the artifact that holds the clues for what happened to their world? So this is the pretext of Bellwether, um, a show that I began creating in 2017 after spending five years um, on staff at 99% Invisible and a bunch of years in public radio before that, um, NPR mostly. Um, I, call pod, uh, I call Bellwether a podcast of speculative journalism, true stories of the world as it is through the lens of what it might become. Each episode is a single narrative nonfiction story within, told within the frame of an ongoing sci-fi radio serial. The fiction world that casts an Icarus in the PMPM becomes a mirror for looking into the difficult stories that, that I report on here from our own timeline. Um, and from the perspective of this futuristic world, we have the opportunity to address the intractable problems of our time with a renewed sense of hope. The first episode of Bellwether is out now, and the next three will be completed by spring 2020, episode one. Autopilot Off is a look at who's really to blame for the first pedestrian death by self-driving car, which happened in Tempe, Arizona last year. Episode two, Safe Space, is about how in the aftermath of the ghost ship fire in Oakland, California, alt-right trolls mounted a campaign to get art spaces across North America shut down, and in the process raised real questions about the future of freedom of, of assembly in spaces real and virtual. Episode three, Service Provider, is about the fallout from a piece of legislation that was supposed to protect society's most vulnerable, but actually makes life a lot more dangerous for them, and at the same time is collapsing the internet as we know it. And in episode four, Keep It 200, uh, is about what it means for a link on the internet to, uh, to a key website to die amidst the search for transgender care. The first episode uh, of Bellwether premiered earlier this year alongside of a Kickstarter campaign that I launched, which raised funds from more than 1,000 individual backers. And um, uh, since then, I've been fielding a lot of really exciting opportunities for Bellwether. So in the time we have together, I'm wondering if you could tell me about like, what Spotify is like. Congratulations on the Gimlet acquisition. And um, I'm wondering why you think it might be a good fit for Bellwether. <laughs> I'll take credit for that. That was all me. Yeah, that was all me. So, you guys, that was, you know, thank you. Um, so, just, you know, just to clarify, you, you've done one. Like, so you're just, you're, your inquiry is about, like, where, what kind of home you could have. Correct, right yeah. there. And then what, I just quickly, like, how, what kind of, like, relationship would you want to have? Like, what, you know, just, you know, tell me, what, what would you want? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, so, look, it's um, one thing I didn't realize when I started making this show is that it has all of the difficulties of a nonfiction show plus all the difficulties of a fiction show. Mm -hmm. um, it is a pretty lean operation. It's mostly just me and the people I can afford to pay when I can afford to pay them. Um, had a producer named uh, John Tanaki Mehta. I don't know if she's here. I uh, worked with her, Julia Barton, who's also here. And also had a chance to work with this amazing fiction writer named Claire Bay Watkins, um, who's the author of such books as Gold Fame Citrus, which was a huge influence for me. So, um, So mostly it's like, having a, a home base to really like uh, be you know the advocate for this show and to give the sort of financial baseline to be able to um, run you know start a year of the show I, I, the way I imagine it working is that 
Um, the show is imagined in four episode cycles. Um, so the first is about um, strange interactions between humans and information. I want the second to be about the environment, and I want the third to be about China. Um, and I'm imagining, you know, this is obviously subject to, you know, negotiation and collaboration, but my, my thought is like um, four episode simultaneous drops three times a year, and then maybe a few additional um, bonus episodes of, of um, uh, sol solely fiction episodes, like as bonus content throughout the year. So you're seeing it like, you know, kind of, you see it going somewhat always on three, three, three times a year, you said. But yeah, so you three. Like going on yeah, and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so right now I have the four episodes that I'm completing. Mm -hmm. And so imagining it as, yeah, so four episode drops three times a year. And who do you, like, what, who do you think your audience is? I think my audience, um, I think my audience is people who are, um, you know, look at their phones all the time, but don't know if they're actually learning anything that helps them. I think my audience is people who think that, uh, yeah, who, who maybe, or maybe are so immersed in the news they don't know what to do, or maybe are people who have so been, been so immersed that they're, they're shut out. I imagine it, you know, as, as like, um, you know, uh, people of color, white people, queer people, cis people, trans people. I think it's like, it's a show about, um, I mean, ultimately this is a show about people and what we are trying to make in this strange moment in history we find ourselves in, in which like normal storytelling doesn't always apply. And like how many, like in terms of how, how um, the length of everything, could you just tell me how long do you sure, think this sure. episode? So um, the, the stories right now are kind of hovering in the 30 to 40 minute episode, uh, episode length. Um, about 75 to 80% of that is nonfiction. And then there's sort of like 20% is like kind of fiction um, in like moments that are kind of cut in between them. And in terms of the fiction aspect of it, who like, what would be your dream scenario in terms of like voices and like that be involved that you could For the fiction? With? Yeah, like what would the dream of people you'd like to work with? Well, yeah, so I've already achieved the dream um, for the first episode with uh, I have this really amazing actor named Sunita Mani who's from Glow and Mr. Robot. She um, is the voice of, of uh, Cass, the, the AI. The way I've kind of laid it out is that all, uh, well, for the most part, all of the fiction stuff is sort of done with a single performance just because of the framing of it. It's that it's this conversation between um, she is an AI and, and Icarus the, is the human who's sort of communicating with her through an interface. So we hear a lot of like clicks and beeps and stuff. And sometimes she, she's taking dictation for him and so she does speak for him. So um, it's a really pretty, and I did that because like I um, am new to fiction. I'm a journalist by trade and um, by training and um, I knew I would have a hard time pulling off dialogue. So it's really, really hard to do it believably. And like, you know, there's a lot of really talented people who, who can do it here at Third Coast, so shout out to them. But um, I think like, um, yeah, I think like it's, it would be, it's, it's a lean operation of like, I'd love to keep working with her. And then maybe if there's like a way, you know, to build like out a, I'd love to have a writer's room of people to kind of like think about, you know, what are, what are the places that this story could go and how, um, yeah, and like, and I mean, you got, yeah, like, I mean, I'm, again, like, I, there are people who do fiction for a living. I'd love to hear what they think about where it would go. And, and, you know, I'd be curious what, like, what Spotify would want to do with it. And the reason I ask is because we have, like, a new script person that yeah. scripted for us. Yeah. So the reason I ask is, like, one of the things we want to do is we like to be collaborative partners, you awesome. know? So we like to be, like, you're not, like, not trying to squash your dreams or anything, but, like, want to, Give notes, feedback. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. And, yeah. and the simple fact of the matter is, like, it, that's a specific lane. Like, you want someone that knows that world. So, and that person would want to be able to be like, oh, here's some suggestions. Here we can work with some dialogue. 
X, Y, and Z. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so it's great to hear that because I think um, the biggest fear sometimes is getting things and people are like, um, this is my vision and then that is that. And you're like, okay, well, nice talking to you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and then what is the one thing, I guess, sort of like, um, um, that's like, for you, like, non-negotiable in terms of, like, with your vision on that? Like, what's the one thing that's sort of like, I am the most passionate about this and it needs to be told through these stories? That's an easy question. I mean, I like being the host. <laughs> if you wanted someone else to host it, it might be a problem. Okay. Um. <laughs> that's good to know, seriously. Um, and I have a particular slant on the shows. I mean, I hope you get to listen to the first episode. Um, and I think, like... Um, yeah, I like I it's 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 just that it's you know it's it's what it's it's everything that I it's like it's my sort of um it's, it's my stance as a, as a journalist, it's my stance as a human being, it's my interest in science fiction. It's just everything that's like put into a blender and 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 comes out like this is like what all of the things that interest to me are. And so for me like I think like I am in kind of like all of it, but I don't want to be in all of it, right? Like that's why I'm looking for a partner. And so I don't like if you want to just like acquire the IP and then say like see you later you know go buy like <laughs> I mean yeah go go buy a villa in Mexico maybe we maybe we could have that conversation but um, but I'd like to be involved I think is the only thing is non negotiable that's very good um, I mean I think um, I don't know if time wrap up but I was gonna yeah. um, but I you know I'd love to it sounds I'm so fascinated by it I love like apocalyptic and like it's it's it just sounds interesting and it, we should talk some more great let's do it so definitely do that. Yeah, cool. Um, thank you, Sam. And um, we're going to pitch again to Erica, um, and we're going to invite Courtney Biggs to come up. Courtney is an Australian transplant, transplant living in New York, where she works as a freelance journalist investigating disparities in women's healthcare with bylines in Fast Company and Miss Magazine. Quiet and how to adjust it. I think is that okay? Just start. Okay, I'm just gonna leave it like this. <laughs> I too am hopped up on Dayquil, so this should be fun. <laughs> uh, but you know, I lost my voice a few days ago, so the only way is up from here. Now I have a voice. <laughs> uh, but without further ado, I'll just get into it. Uh, so for decades, doctors have been prescribing daily aspirin to reduce the risk of heart attack and stroke. But there's one problem with this. The study behind this fact included 20,000 men and zero women. But the gender gap in medical research doesn't end there. Women have been excluded from FDA trials since 1990, sorry, until 1993. So that's within my lifetime. This is what state of the uterus is all about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a podcast series about what's wrong with women's healthcare and what women are going to do to change it. I'll investigate issues like why so many women experience such severe diagnostic delays and why we're still using the same birth control our grandmothers did. You'll meet doctors in Pakistan who are fighting cultural taboos and female entrepreneurs who are fighting the odds and launching companies that will change women's lives. This is not going to be a depressing women suffering in silence type podcast. This is a podcast about systematic injustices and the women that are going to fix them. 
It's clearer in the midst of a feminist revolution. You have Me Too, you have She Should Run, the Women's March. The list just goes on and on. But now a new movement is coming to the doctor's office. Gender bias in medicine is finally starting to break through to the mainstream. But whether it's a segment on John Oliver or a feature in a glossy women's magazine, these reports are just scratching the surface and they're often leaving out queer and trans communities and women of colour. This podcast will take on the individual issues one by one and break down exactly what needs to change. From the treatment guidelines issued to gynaecologists by the American College of Gynaecologists and Obstetricians to how venture capital invests in femtech. And I'll tell you about the women that are driving this change. This will be a reported narrative, character-driven podcast. Each 30-minute episode will examine one issue through women's personal stories interspliced with interviews from the experts. These will be surgeons, researchers, entrepreneurs, and patient advocates. You will meet a biomedical researcher who's developing a diagnostic tampon, learn about a Facebook group that is guiding endometriosis patients to better care, and hear from a sports attorney turned entrepreneur who saw a staggering opportunity in the market for childcare and postpartum products designed by someone who actually uses them. This is a podcast that's truly engaged in the community it serves. I will um, ask listeners to send in voicemails and voice memos detailing their own experiences, suggesting topics to be investigated. This is going to be a podcast for everyone who identifies as female, but also for their families, for their partners, their friends, even their employers. The social and economic consequences of women's, of disparities in women's healthcare are huge. It was recently reported that endometriosis costs the Australian economy $7.4 billion a year in lost productivity, and that's just one country and one condition. There's a real hunger for this kind of information and health advocacy right now, and we've seen this with the launch of the New York Times and Netflix series Diagnosis, and also with Anne Curry's series Chasing the Cure, but now I want to bring it to the audio space. I have the first seven-episode season planned out, so if you want to be part of this revolution, then let's talk. (laughs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Both of you actually did really well hopped up. Like, just want to say, <laughs> yeah. bravo. You would never know you're about to pass out. Great job. Um, 
excuse me, <coughs> staying on brand, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so you said the, you have the first seven planned out, is that yeah. correct? Yeah. And, and you, oh, like, go ahead, I'm sorry. Sorry, I was going to say, when I say planned out, as in like topics who I'm going to interview, like pretty sort of thoroughly planned out, I have hundreds of more ideas that could be, you know, workshopped into episodes. Like there's really sort of no limit for this topic, I feel. And then right, I, I, in terms of, and you don't have any tape or anything, it's just all like sort of like... I do, I have a bunch of, like I have sort of, I've been reporting on these issues in print for a while, uh, and every time I'm listening back to transcripts, I just, you know, there are just so many great characters, there are so many, like I want to delve further into their stories. I have some tape for a pilot episode that I'm working on right now, it hasn't, you know, it's not fully at the stage of ed- execution, I guess what I actually sorry I'll just let you go ahead no No, I was gonna say because like going off what you were sort of asking the last uh picture uh really like narrative audio is something that's very sort of resource heavy uh and so I'm really sort of looking for you know to sort of get some of those resources to bring this to fruition and then, so yeah, a, a team of people to sort of like help you yeah. dig in and yeah, because it's really not like a th- a sort of topic that I want to tackle individually or even just with a you know small two person, three person team. Now, in terms of you said you wanted to bring, I guess, a little bit of levity to this. If if that if I was mistaken, did you say that it's not going to be very? You don't want it to be super heavy handed all the time. Is well, that what you're saying? I think also like something the women that I, ha- I have interviewed so far on these kind of topics they often feel that they're really mischaracterized by the media as being like, oh, if only they just spoke up to their doctor, like everything would be so much better. Like they sort of, you know, you typically have when you describe a disease that women suffer from, it's like, oh, they're suffering in silence because like they don't want to talk about their vagina to their doctor. Like it's, and so that's kind of a mischaracterization. But I think there's also, you know, sense of camaraderie, a sense of, women sort of pushing against barriers to uh, really, you know, change healthcare. Like I sort of liken uh, the gender gap in like medical research and and, and in healthcare to something like the gender pay pay gap. Like there are sort of structural issues here that need to be addressed and both are, you know, equally, equally important. But I do in terms of like, I guess sort of the best way to explain is a, to give an example, I don't know if there's a podcast, the podcast Science Versus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have an episode called The Underground Abortionists or The Underground Abortions. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but yeah, that, like, that goes into some darker topics and some really serious topics, but it also brings this sort of, you know, camaraderie and this light this sort of like uh, lightness to it, like it's not. So I think that's the sort of tone I'm really trying to strike. Yeah, because the reason I ask is sort of yeah. like I think you know, especially for like a younger audience too. It's yeah. sort of like how do you get them in there and keep them in there where they aren't feeling like they're being like it's like school to them. So it's sort of like yeah. how's the way to do that and and also respecting who you're talking to. So that's I guess that's one thing's coming from this kind of world that I sort of. That's what I was inquiring about. Yeah, so sure. not to be like, oh, it's throwing a comedian. Like, I understand that. Yeah. But, you know, just like, sort of thinking that way. I don't, like, I don't want to say this because I sort of sound like I'm sucking up, but, like, Noisemakers, uh, that's a series where you touch on some, like, you know, darker topics 
uh, well, not even sort of darker topics, but some really heavy topics, but you also bring a lot of lightness to that. Uh, and I guess I also, like, I don't want this to be a podcast just for the sort of illness community or the, you know, uh, like, obviously, those are, those people are going to be a very important uh, audience for this podcast. But I also want to look at, like, when I was talking about entrepreneurs launching products, like, uh, like, healthcare itself doesn't have this problem that, like, a lot of industries do like tech where like, or, you know, like STEM where there's like not enough women. Like there are plenty of women involved in healthcare in like caregiver roles and that, but they're not involved at the sort of leadership decision-making uh, sort of level. And so, you know, we're ending up with all these products, like even, you know, all the sort of period tracking apps and that are being, you know, created by men and they're like leaving it anyway. And so I wanted to sort of, I guess... I have an issue with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. Well, yeah, like I could like I could like literally go on about this for like days and days and days. But like so I want it to be like this is not just a podcast for people who are sick or have health issues, but to be like if you've ever taken birth control, if you ever want to have a baby one day, like this is also relevant to you. Uh, so I hope I just didn't go on a giant ramble and that answers your question. <laughs> No, but I think that's the, that was the main thing. Is like, who is the audience? Who are you? Who are you trying to get? Is yeah. it just you know a certain segment? Because I think it's sort of like if it's if it's just that, you're gonna sort of like you know sort of block yourself out, and there's gonna be only a finite amount of finite amount of people are gonna want to listen. Um, my next question is, how can you reiterate like how you're involved in terms of like in terms of like hosting kind of yeah, like sure. Uh, so I obviously have a lot of energy and passion for this topic. I could see myself as a host. I'm also not married to that. I, you know, could also see myself in a producer role. In terms of, like, what my ideal host would look like, I think it would be, something like, maybe someone like Anne Freeman, who's, like, a strong, you know, feminist icon in the podcasting space, or even also someone like uh, Rima Chris, who's the host of This Is Uncomfortable, uh, like, someone who's sort of good at having those like difficult conversations but also bringing a bit of sort of like lightness to the like maybe not difficult conversations someone who's good at having those taboo conversations like in this this is uncomfortable you know she talks about money but she brings a sort of lightness to it like so like you know it doesn't have to be one of those two people but that's the kind of host I guess I'm looking for uh if yeah and I could see myself then you know as in a producer, reporter type role. And then my one more thing, uh, in, in not sort of, because you, you broke down like kind of the people that you're going to want to be involved. Mm -hmm. Have you also thought of other people within like the zeitgeist young kind of folks that we might not even think of that might be battling these things to sort of adding th those voices in to maybe grab the audience that way? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I get, well, I guess uh, depends what by like young, depends what you mean. Like there's a, episode eight. well you know it can it can mean a lot of things yeah, as an episode per episode like if it's endometriosis and you're talking to someone that's maybe we didn't think about who's like 27 that's an actor or an actor or someone that's sort of like we know but we didn't know that was their issue sort of sort of bring a light to that yeah to for sure like there's a lot of uh I guess like I one of the episodes that I have in mind is on menopause and something I wanted to do was take uh someone who has, you know, for sort of medical reasons, 
they have had a hysterectomy or they're sort of in, uh, you know, early menopause in like their 20s. And like, what is, like, you know, what is that like? And take that sort of perspective, like someone I'm thinking of who, you know, has spoken openly about this is um, Amina Sal, who is the host of Call Your Girlfriend. Like she, like, I probably am misquoting her, but she sort of, like, she went through um, endometrial cancer and she was like, you know, that whole experience of cancer was like, so measured and so like you know everything is just very scientific and then she was like and then you know I went into menopause and they were just like have some essential oils and so like she has like spoken about that those contrasting experiences uh you know in the public so she's someone I could see you know being as part of that series like yeah I really just have endless endless examples of people (laughs) Well, I, have to, I want to say I love that you have a breakdown of all the seven, you know, and the same yeah. thing uh, for the, uh, the picture right now. It's like when we get those things, that's so helpful for us yeah. because versus being like, well, I might want to do this. And then I was thinking kind of this person. And the fact that you have had broken down is very helpful um, because it's sort of like I can tell you really thought this through and you mm-hmm. have a concept out there. That being said, though, it's something that we wanted to sort of like sort of like dive down, dig deeper into like who who these people are, you know, sort of do kind of sort of figure out how they would attract our audience. So I would love to like, you know, maybe talk a little bit more about and sort of sort of see what you actually have. Um, um, but I would want to just sort of, it would be something that we would talk as a group just a little bit more about it. Because it's a heavy, it's heavy yeah. and it's it's one of those things you want to do respectfully. Oh yeah, And we 100%. take it so, you know, it's like with noisemakers, you weren't kissing up at all. Um, <laughs> that was one of those things we sat in a room for hours being like, how do we do this the right way? And we want to make sure that we're being respectful about it. And this is a topic that you have to do that. You don't want to be flipping about it at all. So it would be something we want to have to think very deeply about it. Um, but I do have any other questions for, I'm just curious about like, what would else would you want to want from Spotify? Like, why would you think this would be a good place for it? Uh, so really, I guess like, I like the, like, obviously, you know, I want the resources, uh, but I think, uh, Spotify is still sort of early in the game in getting into podcasting and audio. And I think that's really exciting because they're not, they're like looking to, you know, sort of do new sort of experimental sort of stuff. Like that's sort of everything's, I don't know, I like it when you're everything's sort of fresh and you're sort of just exploring whether like, you know, there's a lot of good things to come from experience, but there's also a lot of good things to come from like when you're in the early stages and, you know, you're not stuck in a rut or anything. I don't know if that, that makes sense, but. We're going uh, to need to move on though, Courtney. Sorry about okay. that. The new kid what do you think? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Arika. But so, Erica, you think this is something you want to talk yeah, to Courtney about? Yeah, you know, about let's more. talk about a little bit more. But because I, I would love some more information. It's the same thing with Jen before. It's like I have more questions. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Okay. But thank you so much. You did a great job. Thank you need Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Courtney. Um, we are going to move on to our final pitch. Um, before we do our final pitch, I did want to talk about. Dipsy and uh, what the podcast actually is. We actually have some sound um, to to play for you. I know, Christina. Can you just explain like what the the um, the platform is for people that might not have heard yeah. of it? 
A Dipsy's a storytelling studio, and we tell sexy stories, and they're all fiction, so they're 10 to 15 minutes long, some of them a little bit longer. And they either were hearing from a narrator who's relaying a hookup story or an experience that they've had, or we're eavesdropping on a couple um, and hearing just... Yeah, just hearing their sexy times. Um, but I think that, you know, something important to point out is like, yes, we do have very explicit, hot physical sex, but we're also building erotic moments leading up to that and trying to build a context for people who need more mood setting before they, you know, need to get turned on. And people use our stories to get inspired as a conversation starter with their partners and then also to masturbate. So we're really like, we're, there's tenets of storytelling that we love, but I just want to say we're like, we're trying to get you in a vibe. So Okay. Nice. Let's hear the pitch then from Sarah Brooke Curtis. <laughs> so um, Sarah Brooke Curtis is an award-winning independent radio producer based in Western Massachusetts. Her work has been featured on the CBC's Love Me, um, KCRW's Unfictional, SFA's Gravy Podcast, among others. Hello. I'm pitching you an erotica pitch, but like, I can't really, like if I just did like a pitch, like here's three sentences about my story, that wouldn't really be hot. That's like boy meets girl. They get excited looking at each other and then they screw. So what you're going to take from that? So I have like a, I mean, maybe you'll take a lot from it. I don't judge anybody does for anybody, but um. So I'm just going to very slowly, that's to remind myself, read a short piece of writing and see if it might have a home on your app. Okay. Um, a woman moves back to her hometown after 15 years away. She finds out that the person that she had the most magnetic connection to that made her feel like her entire body was a pulsating clit still lives in her hometown. And finally, finally, they're both single. They were always clearly each other's person, but it was never the right time to get together. He was the one she would think about when she got off. He was the one that she compared her partners to. He was the one that when they hugged in front of other people, she felt like almost embarrassed because it felt explicit. Like the throbbing between them was almost audible. She had been feeling numb lately, just got out of an underwhelming long-term relationship. They were friends, but they didn't really feel like good lovers. Sex was quick, efficient, and rare. All she wanted was to feel that charge, that intense yearning. To feel her body in charge and not her mind. And when she thought about this guy from her past, she realized that she had never felt so turned on by another person, ever. Just being in the same room as him, just hearing him say, hello, just watching him write. He was a really good writer, and she loved that. She recorded his voice on a dictaphone while they were on a walk back in high school, and he's just talking about this mountain they're walking towards, and every once in a while he hums, and it's like he's vibrating through the recorder. Even though it's kind of scratchy and hard to hear, she's played it over the years just to remind her that there was someone out there that made her feel that fucking alive and she couldn't settle for anything else. They had never even kissed. They just lived and thrived in the space that was intense desire to fuck and get lost in the animal parts of each other. And everything paled in relationship to that wanting, that appetite. 
She wanted to feel it again. She wanted to know she was capable of it because she thought it might unlock some other of her hang-ups and blocks. Maybe it was all in her head, but she was ready to find out. She was worried she was too detached from her body and her desires. She was worried that she would jump him the minute she saw him, and then those years of wanting, that hunger would be over, and it would all be diffused. And maybe it was just about the tension in the first place and the practice of restraint. Since she wanted to explore her thresholds for building and sustaining her sexual appetite, she designed a little game and invited him over. Before he came over, she took this whistle that she had that hung on a long rope in her room and she put it around her neck. The goal was to see how close they could get, how turned on they could get without touching. If he got too close to her, she would blow the whistle. How close, how wet can that wanting get before touching each other? Restraint has always turned her on. Her goal is to ask him a series of questions about his preferences, both mundane and sexual, to build their intimacy and determine compatibility. Coffee? Black or with milk? Milk in first and the coffee, or coffee first and like just enough milk? Do you care more about lyrics or the beats? Sucking nipples or grabbing ass? Panting in the ear or too much? If you were an animal, what would you be? Can you make that sound? Do you care about your socks? Like, do they need to be nice or are they an afterthought? Eye contact while climaxing or, oh, no, 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 eyes closed. He winds up taking a turn asking her some questions, too. Eventually, they get so excited, she's blowing the whistle a lot. They're breathing loudly. Everything is quickening. He starts listing things that turn him on about her. He's whispering some of these things in her ear. She starts whispering her list of turn-ons about him. The tension is still there, and it's thick, and everything seems to be opening in her. Eventually, she gets some scissors, cuts the rope, throws the whistle on the floor, and puts the rope around his hips and pulls him towards her. She tells him what to do to her, and he does it. She sits on his lap, and they swap ecstatic breaths. They both admit that they've been each other's fantasy forever. I just want to say... It's a very brave thing to do to read erotica in a room full of people. And <laughs> we heard about nipples and wetness. This is not your grandmother's third coast anymore. Um, I think that, so I just want to say thank you for that. And it's a really vulnerable moment because I think some of our best, our best uh, stories come from a place of truth. And even if your erotica story isn't um, a one-for-one -one documentation of your experience, like I feel like your voice is so strong. Your writing voice is so strong in this pitch. And that's something we really love to see off the bat. Like We can restructure stories for days, but it's hard to draw out a voice if it isn't already strong. Um, and I can tell that this character like, obviously really has a deep yearning for this for this dude, this mystery dude of her past. Um, and I, there's a few lines I wanted to point out because I love these too. I love when you said, when we hugged in front of each other, people, in front of other people, it felt explicit. I was like, ooh, that's sexy. <laughs> uh, it's like, it's not just like an ass slap that's sexy. It's like, ooh, that's really erotic. Like I can feel that tension and I love that moment and drawing it out. I think like my biggest question is, and this is a question I ask a lot, um, in our stories is like obviously the, the essence of this is the restraint like that's the core desire that's where the attraction comes from and I feel like we're kind of 
like while the characters are edging together, the <laughs> listeners also psychologically edging and sonically edging and probably physically edging in their body. Um, so I want to I want to like up the tension, up the hotness in the story. And I, I always ask like, why haven't they fucked yet? Like I think we get a lot of things where it's like things are good. We always had a connection. Do 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 do. And then and then it's like we meet up again and now we're fucking. And it's like okay, but. Why didn't you hit it before? And so I just want to hear, like, I want to know more about the dance, like the will they, won't they, the chase a little bit more so we can up the tension. Well, I feel like I imagine they were always in different relationships. So when one person, like, wanted to be with the other person, they were in a steady relationship or, like, they were really good friends and um, and one of them would be in a relationship, in a really damaging relationship, and the other person would be helping, like, you know, helping guide them through that crazy relationship. Um, but I also think it's just like holding on to a fantasy for a long time and like kind of what I wrote that if you actually follow through with it, then it's gone and there's something really exciting because you can maintain that fantasy by yourself. Like you can hold on to that and feed that. Um, I, and But I also think like she, she's trying to figure out if it's always been in her head or if it's his thing too. So I think part of what needs to be like actually played around with everything we can't talk without played around with okay um without like him like revealing if he really feels the same way like he needs to start taking initiative and like asking questions and um because that's how we actually see that they both were each other's fantasy i think that also the moment you talked about um how she listened to the recordings that they did when they were younger, that's obviously like a really beautiful sonically textured moment that could be really fun, but I think it's also a, a, a time where you could show like example where they were like close, but nothing's happening. Mm -hmm. So we can like really witness the like the restraint. So it's like letting an air out of the balloon and when it finally is coming, like when the payoff finally comes, puns, 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 um, uh, when it finally comes, like we really feel it. We're like, ah, oh, finally, like right. we're doing this now. Like we have so much buildup. So I think that's a nice moment to demonstrate that. I also think like I about the initiation, like we think a lot about that payoff and like well, how is the restraint gonna go all the way into the physical sex? And I feel like since she's built up this fantasy of him so much, like we can't have like any like why is a man great till he's got to be great moments? Like he needs to like really step it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I think it could be it's just interesting. Like if you thought about like what would it look like if he initiates or how is he gonna like blow her mind basically? Mm -hmm. um, and you know I don't that could look at like so many different ways, but maybe you have some ideas about how he could just like fulfill her hot desire. Well, I think that's something that needs to be written about um, and explored. Like I I have to kind of think about that but I think that's part of it is like yeah um the fantasy is finally like hearing what his fantasy is about her um and not just imagining it so I don't really know what that would be yeah I can see I mean I love um, the device of the game like I think that's really brilliant because it's really fun and we talk a lot about negotiation as foreplay at, at Dipsy and how like, consent is hot and that's like baseline for us but but like really voicing and articulating what you need and what you want like I think that game could escalate really beautifully I do have a question and I wonder if you'd be open like we talk a lot about the hotness of off-limits relationships and taboo relationships and 
I wonder, like, it could be hot if, like, they still can't touch each other, like, during the game. Like, maybe he's still, like, maybe he has a girlfriend. Oh, like, meaning it never actually happens? <laughs> no, it happened. It will definitely happen. <laughs> <laughs> like, We're going to make it happen, but I mean, like... <laughs> not going to leave you hanging. But there's the another end. obstacle that that um, that ups like how hot it is because yeah. like they're even even him having a girlfriend they're like and it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think it's like we're going to play a, into the elevated fantasy yeah, yeah. of cheating without the melancholy consequences yeah, of yeah. cheating. Like right. what's right. like so so that that game holds more weight totally I think. like the stakes are a little higher. Yeah. I think you could up the hotness. But it doesn't have to be cheating but maybe he's not available I don't, for any other reason, I'm wondering if, like, you're open to that. I know yes. cheating's a little, like, ooh, but it's also hot. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, right, because, yes, I am, I, I'm willing to work that into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, like, what are, like, you, I just want to see if you could explore maybe, like, what are some of the sexy questions, like, during the game? Like, I loved the, like, more mundane, like, You don't think any of those, socks, those questions were sexy? None of the ones that I asked were sexy? Oh, I would love to hear them again. Sucking nipples or grabbing ass, like things that are more like, I don't know, just specific, like, what is your thing kind of questions. Um, and I, uh, I don't, this is so vulnerable. Oh, so, I know. I, I, sorry, I set you this up This is so vulnerable. I love vulnerability. Um, Maybe p- other people want to shut up questions that they would ask. We can make it like a group exercise. I was thinking like body hair or no body hair, like does that a turn on? Like there you go, like go to more of the edges of things. Yeah, edges. and like if you yeah, literal <laughs> edges. So is this Christina? Would this be possibly a, a Dipsy story? Though? I love this story, and I love that you're thinking about um, it in sound, and you're thinking about all the ways we can build scenes in sound, and it's not just narration, and then dialogue, narration, then dialogue, and I with the recording, and I think it's like there's so much awesome hot potential with it, and I would love to work with you on this story. Yay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Um, whew, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, you, I, you guys, it takes a lot to get up here and, and pitch in front of everybody. So, another huge round of applause for our pitchers. Um, yeah. We're just gonna, I just wanted to talk with you guys about accepting pitches and what the experience is like. Um, and we heard a little bit that some people have worked on things and they're pretty much building something already. I mean, is that something, Jen, that you would recommend for someone to come in to reveal with an actual story that they've, they've created already? Uh, I would say yes. Yes and no. I guess it depends. So Reveal is an hour-long weekly show. Um, We have a lot of stuff that we work on internally, like sort of long cooking investigations and things that come from our internal reporters, but we also have the weekly beast to feed. So we are looking for different kinds of stories. We're mainly looking for investigative stories, but we also, um, like a problem that arises sometimes with the Reveal Hour I actually think this may be traced back to Sam Greenspan. This may be hearsay, but someone told me that you once called Reveal Bummer City Radio. Is that true? <laughs> okay, cool. It is a very real thing. And 
with the types of topics that we cover, it's really it can be really depressing and also really heavy. So we're talking about injustices in the world and how we prove them and then going to the people who may have some responsibility in the matter and looking for accountability. So it doesn't it's not a great compelling engaging listen necessarily to have three of the, those types of stories all in a row and people are just depressed and they don't want to listen again. So we do um, it's not like we're trying to create like false happy stories, but we do like to have a variety of tones in a particular show. So let's say we have a very heavy like first segment or maybe even like a two-part very heavy uh, thing, and then we want to have something that's thematically similar but that has a different tone. So like maybe even at like a non-narrated piece of someone who's going through something where we really get to know someone or like something that's more solutions oriented that's maybe has a little more lightness or we, we try to have like storytelling throughout, but um, just yeah, like trying to vary the tone. I feel like I forgot what your question yeah. Basically, if people came prepared oh, yes. with, with their pieces So, already. like, the one thing I will say, with investigative reporting, with, with us in, taking investigative pitches, you really do have to have done some reporting and have some findings for us to really want a green light. So it's this balance always when you're pitching of, like, how much work am I doing for free? It's not for free. It's, like, for free. Before someone green lights it, before you know that you're going to get paid for the story. So with this kind of work, you do kind of have to do that legwork beforehand to prove to us that you have the goods um, in order for us to have confidence to go forward. Um, so we also sometimes um, accept pitches of things that have been made before, but um, often we'll have, we'll work with them to try to, uh, you may want, you may have to do some more reporting or like retract things are like slightly different. So for example, if someone did like two seven minute stories for an NPR member station and they're very like newsy sounding, like they really fit into the all things considered kind of format, the reporting is really solid, but we're gonna wanna turn that into a 20 minute narrative that we can score and that has kind of more texture to it than you might hear on a regular daily um, news show. So yes and no. Okay. And Erica. So I was noticing like in a lot of your questions, you were asking about the host and have you thought about the host? Mm -hmm. And I was just curious when you get pitches or you think about pitches, is that something that you're always considering? Like if someone pitches you like, I'm the host, are you considering, wait, how are we going to draw audience in? Do we need to consider... Yeah, I mean, getting a different host? Yeah, well, also, it's sort of like, you know, you don't have to be a celeb. It's like the personality you bring into the room. Because we've had pitches where people are I'm like, oh, I want to be your best friend. I've never heard of you before. The personality. Because we're thinking, you're, you're, you know, it's so intimate. You're going to be living with this person, you know, not in dipsy worlds of it, you know. Um, um, but it's sort of like, how, how are they going to, you know, we want to find someone that you're going to want to sort of engage with week after week after week after week. So it's something that we definitely do think of. But, um, you know, it's great when people come and they have options, you know, sort of like this is, and this is the reason why I want this person. But, you know, you know it's nice to sort of have an idea um, and, you know, want to buy into that person and who the personality is. And what do you love in a pitch? Like, what makes a really good pitch for you? A really good, well, being prepared is really a great one because, you know, sometimes you'll get something and like, and I think I'm, I'm like, maybe we'll do this. And you're just like, um, what? And they're like, what ideas do you have? And I'm like, well, you came here. I mean, we can, you know. But, you know, 
I think the ones where people are very, this sounds so naive and simplistic, but really passionate. When people have done their research, when people feel strongly about that, because we want to be advocates when we're taking it to our bosses to do X, Y, and Z. And when you feel that, it's like it makes you want to be a cheerleader for those pitches and those people too. So I think having that passion about it and, um, and sort of people have done their homework. You know, it's nice when someone comes in with a deck and they sort of like thought of things out and sort of like a one pager and you sort of see like that someone has done their homework. Like they really care, like what you said before, versus just sort of like wing it and deciding. I, you know, I decided I wanted to do a podcast, right? Because I thought it'd be fun. You know, just put a mic in front of me. Just talk. Me and my friends, we're funny. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I was thinking, Christina, too, like about pitching erotica. Like, what do you think? Why do you think it's hard for people to wrap their head around like? writing or pitching erotica. We did have some, we did have to push people to, to pitch an erotica story. It was definitely, you know, not everyone was willing to get up in front of a mic. And so what do you think, like, what is this misconception about, about erotica and fictional erotica right now? Yeah, I think, I mean, we don't have a ton of representations of explicitly consensual, pleasurable like embodied feeling empowered sex in audio, but also in a lot of places, like it's sometimes it can be hard to find visual porn that does those things, but they do exist. It does exist. Um, I think people, it's vulnerable. Like it's a big deal that, like I just want to underscore again that Sarah just read out loud a very intimate, like personal detail. She said, audible throbbing like that's a big deal it's like very vulnerable and I think sometimes a really difficult thing is like really getting at like very simple questions just like why is this hot like what is it about the attraction what is it about the desire and like how can you take even like tropes that we explore we try to rip them open like yeah we have a series called cowboys and you know and like we're trying to like you know break over some tropes and stereotypes that kind of haunt erotica and I think people have misconceptions about red erotica the potential that it could be and how also I think it's a different type of structure for this crowd like quite honestly it's not as much like we're not in the business of like splashing you in the face with entertainment or like throwing you in the ocean (laughs) Like we want to, we want you to feel immer- actually very much immersed in like an ocean of hotness. I don't know. There's so many puns. To I, have know, here. I know. Um, I'm just wondering, like, if you guys could give any advice, if you could give just a little bit of advice to anyone who's pitching, like, what would it be? After we saw these amazing pitchers get up here today, I think we've all noticed some things that went really well and some things that maybe. I would do it this differently, but like, what would you say is like some advice you would give someone when, when pitching? I think for for audio stories, it's really important for the the person you're pitching to to understand what it'll sound like, especially if you're doing audio narrative. So talking about. Uh, specific voices that you want to bring in, but also if you have some ideas about structure already, that's that can be really great to bring in to really give that person a sense of what's like what's the eventual vision of this. Like we would open in this, like for example, at your pitch, like we would open with like the people in the neighborhood and want to really like get to know their daily lives, and then we'd like turn to this issue. Or I want to like hit them with like the scene of like the tax commissioner. Um, you know, like we know that he has a yacht, so we're going to talk about like the dimensions of his yacht or blah, 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 like stuff like that. Details so that 
um, I as an editor can really, really get a sense of what the story, what the story sounds like, and what the experience of listening to it would be, rather than just the outlines, uh, which is also important. How about you, Erica? I totally was going to steal everything you said. Yeah, that's it. But also, I would say, you know, just having the structure in place. But this sounds like practice. Just have, just practice with people you know and friends, and just sort of feel also just sort of getting feedback from other people. I think that's another thing because I think we all get in our heads. You know, and I will, like, you know, when I'm pitching to my boss and I'm like, okay, and, and, you know, take a moment, take a breathe, but practice with other people and get that feedback because it's really invaluable. Um, also, and people that don't do what you do, get their feedback because that's so great for them to be like, they are, they are going to be very honest with you and they're going to sort of be like, you know, or people that don't listen to podcasts, just like how would they react to what you're saying? So put all those feelers out. That's what I would say. Right. Someone had once said to me that like when you say a pitch to someone and someone just gets, when they get confused, that's the moment that you need to work on your, exactly. your pitch, like that exact wa- moment. Watch people when they're just sort of like, huh. Yeah. You know, it's sort of space. like, oh, like, oh, okay. And, you know, and then just take it from there, yeah. you know. I think for us specifically, we're looking for a, a place of vulnerability and don't shy away from that vulnerability. It might not be your whole story, but try to tap into it an experience that you have, like your hottest turn on, the thing that, the kink that you don't tell your friends about. Um, this is very specific to Dipsy, but <laughs> I just feel like, but I think like the larger that is of not a reveal That's how we, like, pictures uh, reveal. Yeah. yeah, I mean. <laughs> lead with uh, your kink. <laughs> yeah, lead with your kink and your turn on, and then explain why. Um, That's not a sad story in eight for minutes. reveal. Yes. Yes. But, I will, but I will say like that, yeah, coming from the personal space and tapping into something personal so that, like we can feel the passion come through even if it's not like every act of the story is exactly what happened to you where it's fantasy so we're elevating it in a different way um but it needs like a seed of truth so that we can really feel it and connect to it i I did want to also say that the way that we do pitches at reveal and this is like a process that has evolved over time so it's rare that you would be pitching live unless you happen to be in town or there's some specific reason. So a lot of times we're getting like a written pitch and then the way we do it at Reveals, we'll assign a staff producer to review that pitch and probably have a phone call with the person who pitched and then that producer will pitch in our pitch meeting. We'll sort of represent the story. Um, And I'm curious actually like how often people pitch live like for Spotify and like how do you get to the point of pitching live because I think it's unusual a lot of times you're just sending emails and you're just like crossing your fingers right I mean usually for us it's like once we like because we have for our team because there's various verticals for our team if we see something and we you know we read it and we all collectively kind of like it we'll have a call and have the person like if they can come in or do a hangout um and then that's when that will happen that kind of to pass that first gate yeah cut that first gate but sometimes we'll be like oh my god it's exciting or or it could be like I'm kind of on the fence but maybe let's get them in the room so they can present themselves and see you know again the passion part right there but it's just you know majority of us we're getting things inbound often right. you know and that's good for everyone to kind of realize this is a very rare experience to mm-hmm. be actually pitching live um it doesn't always happen that way but eventually you do have to present your story in a very clear, concise way in front of a room full of people sometimes. So um, I really want to thank all of you for being here today, for supporting these pictures. Um, 
Just, just uh, remember that uh, AIR is an incredible resource for you to figure out how to pitch all of these places. Please come up and say hello to the panelists. Pitch them if you want to. You know, why not? Um, thank you guys for coming, and we'll see you around. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.